Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Gateway. Good to have you with us this evening. Hope you avoided the, sh- the heavy rain. It's about five o'clock. I was wondering, was there anybody going to be here at all? But especially good to see you. Um, as I said last week, last Sunday evening, on the last Sunday of Alert Level 2, we began a short series around the idea of reframing or reconfiguring the way that we think, thus allowing ourselves under the direction of the Holy Spirit to think more healthily and to think differently. And when a huge event like COVID-19 or anything like that that comes along, it has many, many uh, different consequences. And one of the consequences that, that, tr- that comes along with trauma and grief and difference is that we start to look at some of the issues uh, attaining to our lives. Although there are economic and social changes that these events bring along, some of the things that happen within us are deeply personal and they make us challenge some of the things that are deep-lying things like anger, fear, forgiveness, regret, rejection. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, the last Sunday, I looked at the area of regret and how we can allow regret to shape our lives to our detriment unless we do something about it, unless we reframe the way that we think and move beyond regret to a place of resolution and freedom. That last week, we looked at the whole area of fear and the need perhaps for some of us to under the power of the Holy Spirit to move beyond a place of fear to a place of peace. That the enemy comes in on the back of a lie or the enemy comes in on the back of something inconsequential and brings along with it fear and all that goes with it. Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of the four-time president of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt says, no one can make you feel small without your consent. No one can make you feel small without your permission. Today and tonight as we bring this series to a close, I wish to do by talking about living a life free from rejection. How do we as followers of Christ reframe those things, those times when we were rejected? Someone dismisses your great idea. Someone dismisses your invitation to a chat over a coffee, and someone who perhaps you have feelings for simply rejects you. Someone who you once loved very dearly tells you that they don't love you anymore. A spouse, a partner, or a child that doesn't want anything to do with you in the future. You get turned down for that job that you thought was yours. A university place didn't materialize as you'd hoped. A parent shows no interest in you. A child walks away. A friend cuts off your friendship, giving you no reason. Rejection is an incredibly powerful force. One of the greatest, one of the most successful and influential songwriters of the past 10 years is a female artist by the name of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is one of the best-selling musicians of all time. She has won 10 Grammys and many, many other awards and she is only 29 years old, and she is worth $360-$400 million. The numbers, the statistics don't lie. Swift has been extremely successful, incredibly successful, in fact, as her early songs 
address and talk to the challenges of teenage girls growing up in today's society, and latterly to those in their 20s, and she identifies with millennials. In one of her songs, in particular entitled 15, she addresses the issues of growing up and rejection. In this song, she talks about her new best friend, Abigail, and herself, how they met in school, how they become best friends, and how they did life together. She writes the following lyrics about so-called love and romance, and losing one's heart at 15, and the rejection that goes with it. She says this, when all you wanted was to be wanted, wish you could go back and tell yourself what you know now. She continues to write, because when you're 15, and someone tells you they love you, you're gonna believe them. And when you're 15, feeling like there's nothing to figure out, she adds, when all you wanted was to be wanted, wish you could go back and tell yourself what you know now. Back then, I swore I was gonna marry him someday, but I realized some bigger dreams of mine. But Abigail gave everything she had to a boy who changed his mind, and we both cried. Incredibly powerful lyrics, but true for, for so many. And for some of us, if not many of us, rejection has its roots in an incident or a series of incidents that years ago damaged and violated us, and thus far we have never fully recovered, but have simply learned to cope with it. Lisa Turkett says these words, rejection has long ties pulling the pain of yesterday into the situations of today. What felt hopeless yesterday will feel hopelessness, will feed hopelessness into today unless we cut those ties. Life brings these things into all our lives from time to time. Rejection is part of being human, which is sad but true. Learning how to deal with the decision of others not to give you a job or to pursue a relationship with you can, if you allow it, to be very life-giving and life-framing and life-shaping and life-giving. But for many people, it isn't. But sometimes we end up in a cycle where we feel that we are always rejected because of this one incident, because we were once rejected. We feel as if everyone is against us and we end up alone with our thoughts that we are never good enough. Maybe we have been told all our lives that we were an accident or an afterthought and this has stuck with us. Some have memories of being the last to be selected for the school sports team and this has stuck and the record has become broken in our mind and it plays on our mind and it is a story of rejection. And slowly over a cycle of looking at the world begins to take shape inside us and in our heads and in our hearts. And if we're not careful, we see rejection everywhere. And we end up believing it is part of our core identity. So we start to use the language about ourselves that incorporates the ideas of rejection or we think we deserve rejection. Psychology Today issued a report a number of years ago about the power of rejection 
and its conclusions were quite incredible and insightful. And they list about 10 or 12. I'm just going to mention four. It says about rejection. Obviously, this is a secular report. It says, first of all, we can relive and experience rejection pain more vividly than we can physical pain. It goes on to say, if we try recalling an experience in which we felt significant physical pain, our brain pathways will respond in a way that says, no thank you, don't want to go there. In other words, that memory alone won't elicit physical pain. But when we relive a painful rejection, our minds will be flooded with many of the same feelings we had at that time, and our brain will respond exactly the same way as it did when we first suffered rejection. Our brain prioritizes rejection experiences over everything else. Secondly, it says, rejection creates surges of anger and aggression. In 2001, the Surgeon General of the United States issued a report stating that rejection was a far greater risk for violence than drugs, poverty, or gang membership. Countless studies have demonstrated that even mild rejection leads people to take out their aggression on others or themselves. Thirdly, rejection does not respond to reason. And fourthly, psychologists believe that strong links exist between rejection and physical pain. In a study testing the theory that rejection mimics physical pain, Researchers gave participants Tylenol or Panadol before asking them to recall a painful rejection experience. The people who received the Panadol reported significantly less emotional pain than subjects who took a placebo or just a sugar pill. Rejection brings and causes physical pain. So what does God say? And what does God want to say about such things to us today as we come and desire to reframe our mind? He speaks to it a lot. But firstly, I want us to see John 1, verses 10 to 12, which says this. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. God knows all about rejection because his son was rejected. And we will come to that again in a few moments. As a little boy, he had tennis rackets tied to his arms as he sat in his high chair. His father had made a mobile over his cot of tennis balls. His father put them above the cot even before he was born and they hung there every night until he outgrew his cot. The only video cartoons he was allowed to watch involved people playing tennis. His father strapped rackets to his arms and made him move around with them during the day so that he learned to walk with these tennis rackets on his arm. He played his first competitive match when he was four, and he hated tennis as a result. We are talking about Andre Agassi. It's the same person, that's why. Some of us who are old enough will remember probably both of them. Andre Agassi, he hated what was happening to him. 
the pressure that was being put on him as he grew up, sensing that if he did not perform properly, get his game right, if he didn't win, he would end up being a failure and rejected by the one who should have loved him the most, his father. You can read his story in what is one of the best autobiographies you will ever read. It is entitled, Open. He resented his dad and then he became driven by this desire to prove his dad wrong and that he was actually worth something. So he became one of the greatest tennis players and was later married to fellow tennis legend Steffi Graf. But he soon realized that all the plaudits and all the accolades, trophies, championships, and the countless money that he earned weren't enough because deep inside him, he lived with a sense that he wasn't good enough and that he had been rejected by his dad. Evidence of rejection in our lives can be seen both occasionally and regularly if we are thinking in a wrong way about it. Sometimes it evidences itself in rebellion, sometimes it is seen in projected personalities that are always out there and loud, pretending to be something or someone that they're not in order to be accepted. So we have this public life and we have this private life. The trouble is we spend so much time and energy on the public life that we have no energy left to simply be ourselves. Very often rejected people reject others so that they don't get rejected first. Forever pushing people away. For those who struggle with rejection, they will always have a deep insecurity about their relationship with other people. There's always the need to be told how much they are loved and they are only secure as their, excuse me, their most recent success. The need to be able to fit in and to always be accepted is paramount, always needing the affirmation of people around them, often marked by a sense of self-pity. Why does this always happen to me? And very often people just say, why not? Other people get blamed when things go wrong, and a victim mentality is always lurking close by. People living with deep rejection find any criticism earth-shattering, and they fail to cope at all. Have you ever met folks who, regardless of what you say, always take things personally? It is often a sign of deep rejection. People who live with rejection at the core of their being live in the environment where they don't feel loved and they don't fit in. And God gets it too. He is hugely to blame. Why did he make me like this? He could have made me taller, thinner, better looking, better physique, and so on. Feelings of worthlessness, insecurity are deeply rooted in rejection. I remember an incident about four or five years ago and um, I don't know what I'd done. I'd, I'd cut myself shaving or I had a sore, and I don't know what I'd done. And somebody said to me, oh, that looks really, really bad. And I just happened to make the comment, which would be typical of me, well, I don't have looks to worry about, really, do I? I don't have good looks. They're not going to get devastated. They're not going to lose my good looks because I never had them in the first place. And I just said that as a throwaway comment, which all of you would agree with. But this person snarled back at me. You can't say that 
about yourself. And they did it in not a quiet voice. And I, I got taken back. And I, I remember processing that and I just said to God, God, what was happening there? And I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper into my spirit a real sense of deep, deep rejection. If today you struggle with rejection, then more often than not, there will have been a person in your life or who was in your life whose approval mattered far more than it should have. You, need, you needed them to tell you how good you were or you are, that in every way that you were beautiful and that they loved you. And, that, and the way we handle their rejection is not only an indicator of their hold on us, but also how much we are letting them shape us today. And that is why we need to reframe our way of thinking in regards to re rejection. Eleanor Roosevelt is so right, she says, you are giving consent to other people to make you feel small. Envy and jealousy, deep-seated hate of others are often close friend of rejection. You know, rejection is one of the most powerful forces and hard to break, perhaps impossible outside of Christ. Redemption will make us run away from confrontation that is needed and necessary. Rejection makes us fixers, always trying to fix things. Fix people's problems, fix people's situations, fixing everything, fixing things that don't even need to be fixed. Because if you know I have fixed your problem, then you will know that I am okay and worth something. And ultimately, the, foremost, the saddest form of rejection is when we reject ourselves and some end up with marks and cuts on our arms and on our legs to show for it. And some of us won't eat to prove that we are not worth things. But rejection isn't simply a 20th or a 21st century condition. The Bible speaks to it in so many ways. In the Old Testament, the story of Cain and Abel is worth unpacking. For here a sense of rejection led to conflict, murder, and death and sorrow was born. The deepest sense of rejection always comes from those who are closest to us. King Saul is a story of a man who compares himself to the wrong thing. On hearing the women dancing and singing David's praises, he gets angry and jealous. He compares himself to David and ends up resenting David. He would rather that they both failed than have David to be seen as better at some things than he was. A sense of being rejected by his people set Saul on a course of utter, utter destruction. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of how to thrive through rejection. If we look to the life of Jesus, we will notice that even the Son of God was not immune to the sting of rejection. From the outset, with well, the onset of his ministry, Jesus encountered opposition, rejection, and disbelief. Luke 4, people questioned his authority and authenticity. In Mark 6, John 5, and John 6, he even told his disciples to expect rejection by the world. In John 15, he knew what it was to be rejected. We read in Luke 9, verses 51 to 56 from the message, it says, when it came close to the time for his ascension, he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. 
he, went, he sent messengers on ahead. They came to a Samaritan village to make arrangements for his hospitality. But when the Samaritans learned that his destination was Jerusalem, they refused him hospitality. I love this bit. When the disciples, James and John, learned of it, they said, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? And Jesus turned to them and said, of course not. And they traveled on to another village. Christ didn't allow rejection to elicit a response or revenge or to frame him or to set him off course. When commenting on Cain and Abel, I said this words that the deepest sense of rejection always comes from those who are the closest to us. And these verses in Psalm 55 say it so well. It says this, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who steals, who deals insolent with me that I could hide from them. But it is you, a friend, and that word there can also mean a fellow human being, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel, and that word counsel can also mean deep intimacy. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. As a pastor, one of the most difficult things I face is the breakup of marriages, not a judgment call, but just simply a statement of fact. Such a difficult thing for a family to go through. It affects so many things. It affects birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day for the rest of one's life. One of the reasons it is so profoundly difficult and some of you have walked this way is because of the deep relationship that you had with that person in the first place. And then it is broken and of course you encounter indescribable rejection. But you don't have to be married to know rejection from a broken relationship. Someone you worked with, someone you worked alongside, someone you served with, someone you had a deep friendship with, and somehow all these things may have got fractured. A romantic relationship with someone that they broke it off. And no wonder we feel broken and rejected on the inside. As Taylor Swift says, Abigail, she gave all. You have trusted them, you've opened your heart to them, you've let them see you vulnerable, and then they have rejected it for you. So how do we go about, very quickly, navigating these things and go about reframing our mind? And I just wanna go through five things very, very quickly. And there is only one place to start, and it is the most simple, and it is the most basic, and it is this, that we are loved and accepted by God. And it is not a theory, and it is not something that is simply for everyone else, but it is simply true of us. Ultimately, all rejection is rooted in a misunderstanding of our identity. We think or we allow someone else to determine it. A mother, a father, a teacher, a spouse, a lover, but no one gets to determine our identity except God himself. When we discover this reality, it transforms our life. Thus, our reading from John 1. Jesus came to his own, and they rejected him. But he knew that his position was all good with God. He could be rejected on earth, but all was well with his heavenly Father. 
And if we are going to reframe our thinking and overcome our rejection, we need to have our identity rooted in something other than ourselves. It needs to be rooted in something rather than what our parents or what people around us think or what colleagues say about us. It needs to be rooted in the most profound truth and reality that is possible, and that is in a person, and it is Jesus Christ of what he says about us. It doesn't get better or higher than this when he says, you are mine, I love you, I welcome you. Need to allow ourselves to believe and to step into reality every day, especially when rejection comes, that God loves us. Simply, simple, yes, but when fully grasped, transforms and helps us to rethink and to reframe our thinking. You know, nothing gets better Then Isaiah 53, 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. See, on the cross, he carries his own rejection and that of you and me. All the rejection that the world can throw at him or as us as the followers of Christ He has taken it, he has absorbed it, and he has carried it away. And this is how we start to reframe how we think. All those words spoken about you, all those words spoken over us, all those nasty and barbed comments spoken that have created fear and anxiety and rejection and perhaps even self-loathing have to be taken to him and put at the foot of Calvary. No wonder Jesus is central to everything. And we have the incredible privilege of relationship with him. I love the words of Psalm 27 when it says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Secondly, as we go about reframing, it involves understanding that we have nothing to prove. We have nothing to prove. There is no test to take here. People who live with rejection are often Perfectionists, they seek the approval of themselves and of others because how they appear and how they live and come off to others is important to them. So important sometimes that we get tied up in knots mentally and emotionally as we think that we have to prove our worth, our value, that we are always having to make right decisions to prove that, we, that in making a right decision means that you will perhaps love me and value me even more. Because if I don't make right decisions, I am scared deep down that perhaps you will reject me. It may have no validity at all, but it is still a reality for the person who thinks that way. The trouble with this is if we think that we have this attitude that we have to prove ourselves, it affects our Christian walk. And we will respond and we will react to our Heavenly Father in exactly the same way. That fear of being rejected, saved by grace through faith, but living out of a sense that God might lose his patience with us and tell us that, man, he doesn't really, really like us. It is absolute nonsense, but the lies of the enemy very often are absolute nonsense. But when they come with rejection, they have a force that needs to be broken and reframed. God is the one who has accepted us when perhaps others have rejected us. His voice needs to be the loudest one in our head. 
I pray that we would let it be so. He is not going to turn to us and say that, well, you're not, ex- you're not really what I expected you to be, and you haven't lived up to my expectations. If I can put it like this, he doesn't have any expectations of us. He knows that we are sinners and that we need, need grace. You know, many of us have heard from a teacher, from a parent, from a husband, from a wife, from a boyfriend, or from a girlfriend, that you didn't live up to my expectations. But the great thing is he knows our weaknesses and his expectations in that sense are not that high. Do you know it is not our job to get people to like us? When we put our acceptance into his hands, we have nothing to prove so we can relax and enjoy our walk with him. Not everything about us is likable, for we generally know our weaknesses, especially as we grow older. And our, des- our aim, our, as it were, goal must be to allow him to transform us into the image of his son, but realizing that we have nothing to prove that we are safe and secure in God. Putting our acceptance in him frees us from trying to please people by being the best person we think they want us to be. God is our vindicator. Thirdly, our ultimate worth, our purpose comes from God, and again, not what other people think or say. If I can put it like this, and some of you will think this is really naff, and it could be really naff, and it may induce nausea, but if God has got a fridge, He's got your picture on it. We had a picture, a photograph through this week. There's a backstory to it. My niece had two children, and about um, four years ago, five years ago, she was pregnant. She had two girls, and now this son was, uh, she was pregnant with a boy. And he was so badly disformed that uh, the doctors were gonna have to induce so badly deformed that he would not even been recognized as, as, a, as a baby in that sense. But on the night she was, before she was about to have the operation, she aborted, it was an incredibly sad time. But going forward three years, she got pregnant again, and she had a baby boy about six weeks ago. And we had his photograph in the mail the other day, Jack Henry Marshall. And do you know where he is? He's on our fridge. And when we sit and we have breakfast together, he's the first person that we see when we're having our breakfast. And God does exactly the same with us. Our ultimate purpose comes from him. Our worth, when we believe our worth comes from God, we can stand and look anyone in the eye, not confrontational, not argumentative, not in an aggressive sense, but we can look anyone in the eye and not be ashamed. None of us get to choose where we are born, what family we are born into, so let's not be embarrassed by such things. If people are going to make shallow judgments about you because of where you are from or who your family is, then don't worry about it. That's their problem. Our worth doesn't come from the fact that we were born in a big house or in a small house or in an educated or an uneducated family or a rich family or a poor family. Doesn't matter if we were born to parents who were divorced or married or living together or had a one night stand. What matters more than anything else is the value that God puts 
on each and every one of us. Fourthly, we can choose what we do with our feelings. 2 Corinthians 10 verses five and six says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. One of the things some of you will have heard me say this last season, if you were at any of the weddings that I took, I said this statement every time. I say it, it is this, not every thought in your head has to come out through your mouth. I think that is the best wedding advice you can give to people. Not every thought in your head has to come out through your mouth. And you know, it might be humorous, but it is actually incredibly powerfully true. It's very true in the context of marriage, but it's also true in the context of allowing rejection not to take hold of our life. We don't have to say everything that we think. We have to take things captive. We can't allow ourselves to rehearse and play back, as it were, what people have said to us in the past. We have to reframe our mind and take thoughts captive because if they are not true, why do we give them space and an opportunity to influence us? The negative thoughts and the feelings we encounter are often obstacles that hold us back from the life that God has for us. We need to limit them. We need to control what we allow ourselves to think. We have a will and we must use it. And sometimes we need to stop ourselves from thinking some things. Sometimes we hold on to things that we need to let go, but our lives keep on betraying, um, our words, I should say, keep on betraying us and letting us down. We need to choose not to be held as victims and to the pain of the past. Yes, they will hurt because sometimes they are so deep, but there is a way forward. And taking such thoughts captives, I often find myself, if I think some thoughts, I sometimes think, I choose not to go there. I choose not to go there. And sometimes I believe that we've got to do that as Christians, is choose not to go back to things that hurt us and that elicit pain. Our lives are not to be built on what we feel, but what God says to us. What we believe about ourselves shapes whom we become. And the way to combat rejection is to take thoughts of rejection captive. When I hear something about myself that is different to that what God says, my responsibility is to reject what is untrue and receive and ruminate on what is true and not cuddle into and enjoy rejection. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but has given us a spirit of love and self-discipline. And we need to speak his word to us. Fifthly and finally, let's be more patient with ourselves. You know, God is at work in our lives, so let's be patient as we allow him to work his majesty in us and through us by the renewing of our minds day by day. One thing that I have learned about God over nearly 45 years of being a Christian is that he doesn't do things at the pace or with the speed that I would like him to do things. Sometimes my prayer is, God, please hurry up. But he does do things at his pace, and he knows what is best, 
And he deals with us one layer at a time to bring healing and hope to us. And we need to be patient with ourselves. We need to determine that we set ourselves in a direction to reframe our minds. And then we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and do this at your pace and at your speed. In Andre Agassi's autobiography, he is asked about his father and he says, I don't actually resent him. He says, you, can, you can't spread who you are without being broken first. Sometimes when you have been broken into pieces, you come back and you give much more. You see, my scars are the key to making a difference in me and me a difference in others. He goes on to say, you can't have any wounds in this game that don't leave scars as they never quite heal, but they make you who you are. Quite a profound statement. It's a book well, well worth reading. Friends, tonight, just because we didn't choose our life, we didn't choose our lot, it doesn't mean that we can't take responsibility for it. There is much more to you and I than the part that was rejected by someone. No one can make you feel small without your permission. Musicians, you come and join me, please. Just a three statements to finish with. First of all, past rejection is not a projection of future failures. Rejection may well have stolen enough of our present and our past, but God wants to bring it an end to an end so it doesn't affect our future. Secondly, rejection doesn't label us. It simply invites us to adjust and move on in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can stand or sit in rejection, or we can create a new future in that whole area. And thirdly, if today or in the future you are faced with rejection, let's guard our hearts and be incredibly careful. Don't let today's reaction become tomorrow's regret. In other words, let's not do something in response to the rejection that we may have to face or to the person that causes that rejection that we will regret in the future. We need to be very careful how we respond to rejection going forward because it will happen. Reframing our minds is so important for what God wants to do in us and through us that he wants to add these things, as it were, to our, our toolkit so that we can help other people. You know, wouldn't it be great if we who have been rejected in any sense allow God to do our work in our lives so that when we meet others who have that exact same experience, that we can minister life and health and hope and a future that is different, that our path, that our future is affected because of what God has done for us now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.